You are listening to a production of the Tome Network. This is the Uncommon Cast RX number 270. The Tome Closes. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Common Rider Saber, episode 39. Oh, Swordsman, follow the path you believe in. And 40, the shining friendship of three swordsmen. From space. Uh, our writer for 39 is Uchida Hiroki, and for 40 is Hasegawa Keiichi. Our director for 39 is Shibasaki Takeyuki, and for 40 is Ishida Hidenori. Oh, okay. That was a Hidenori joint. Right on. Yeah. Well, like, I want to make a thing about, I don't think he actually ever directed anything for Forza, but boy, watching it, you wouldn't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure he didn't. But I could be wrong. I'd check, but it's not actually that important. He's still the head director for Kuga, so you know what? He can do no wrong in my eyes. Also, he did the episode that kind of, in a sideways way, introduced uh, Naki. Because he was the one where where um, Fua goes into the into the door and there's the sound of a gunshot. And we're like, whatever happened with that? Oh, Next yeah. episode, he's yeah. just there. That was... That was... Oh, no. Hidenori did do, oh, did do some Forza. Oh, he did. How about did, did significant... Did a not insignificant amount of Forza. Well, I'm very happy to hear that. I I didn't think he had. I'm glad to be wrong. Oh, wait, no. Hidenori Yoshida, I think. Yeah, no, that is the right guy. Sorry, they changed the picture on his wiki. He used to, used to have ah, this one okay. picture with a hat, and I'm like, well, he's not wearing the hat, so that can't be the guy. I'm glad, it was, I'm glad he is the guy. Wow, yeah, he did a lot of them. He did some of the Dark Yuki, I think. Is that Dark and Light Yeah, he twins? did some of Dark Yuki. He did uh, Jake's Introduction. Oh, did. Um, yeah. Did, uh... Did some Meteor stuff? Yeah. Possibly... Possibly the stuff where... Uh, Gentro comes... No, I don't think it's the stuff where Gentro comes No, it's back. the one right after be, that. Uh, cancer. Yeah. Oh, that was the astronaut test. Oh, yeah, he did the astronaut test. Um, but what is this one? Okay, no, this is the astronaut test. What is what is the other one I was looking at? Okay, I think, yeah, I think it was the ones a little... It was the end of Cancer, not the beginning of, yeah. uh, of Ares. Okay. But he, no, he did some he did some really cool episodes. He did the end of... Um, I think he did the end of the Scorpio stuff. Mm-hmm. Good for him. He's up in there. Yeah. Good on yeah. I'm very happy. That's it just it makes me very very happy to see. And then it's just like also he did two of the episodes of Zero One during the jobs arc and you know, I'm glad he got yeah, well, paid. You get you get paid for things. <laughs> That's not his fault. It's not his fault that those were written the way they were written. Yep. He was not the writer. Nope. He just, you know, he's there to make it look as good as he can, and, you know, I think he did a decent job. He did, they were the, uh, the house episode. The one, the, the guy who's trying to smell oh, the, the house. Oh, the real houses. estate one. Yeah. I mean, there, there was some, some cool visual stuff in those yeah, episodes. Now I'm just imagining him just beckoning you over and whispering, it's free real estate. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's get on with, uh, these episodes of Saber, because otherwise we could just talk about, hey... Hidenori Yoshida has directed some good episodes, and also made some less than good episodes look better. Uh, so I can't believe we very nearly made it three entire episodes without them writing Reika as weirdly horny for her brother. We came so close. So close, and yet so very, very far. <laughs> Though I like, I do, I do really love the scene because I love Ryoga giving the really reluctant thank you, and then Rintaro, and specifically Rintaro, who is the first one that he attacked, trying to kind of milk it and get him to say it again, and then you know Ryoga has a little tantrum about it. Like that was very cute, and it, it was a nice, it, it was a nice way to kind of open up Ryoga's personality. And even if Reika had just kind of, like, laughed about it with everyone, about the fact that Ryoga was, like, kind of shy, instead of getting all, like, oh man, it's so hot when he's tsundere, like, we were just so close to it not being weird again. Yeah, like, 
look, I don't know if it's if it's uh, Uchida Hiroki or Keiichi Hasegawa who's his fault for it, but like y'all, y'all, like Uchida, we praised very hard when they first showed up, and then this happened, and I, I don't I don't know who's to blame, but just what the hell, guys? What the hell? Yeah. I mean, at least there's none of it in 40 and the kind of concern and care for each other that Reika and Ryoga have in 40 feels very natural and normal, like siblings who have a lot of the same baggage. But man, if it weren't for that bit at the end of 39, we would have four full episodes and I would have thought like, okay, maybe we're past it. Maybe like they've decided to just let them be normal people now. I mean, on the one hand, that would, like, I would much prefer that. But on the other, I guess it's better that they're just gonna keep sprinkling it in than make us think they're over it and then just, like, spring it on us at the end. Just, like, bring it back all of a sudden and you're just like, ah, no! So this way, like, you never get used to them not doing it. Which, I mean, that's a weird way to say it's better, but, uh. I mean, I don't know, because if it's, like... If it's a thing where it only happened, like, once or twice, I'd, I'd be way more willing to let it go and just call it, like, a weird one-off moment of them just kind of directing it a little poorly. But the consistency of it is like, oh no, this is an intentional thing. Yeah, it just... I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. It's just... It, it feels like someone on the staff is committed to it and i'm just like you know no let it just let that one go y'all yeah um i also sure do wish luna would call out for kento just even one time like i know toma is her like chosen one or whatever but she clearly doesn't even understand what that means or what she is and kento was her friend too who she arguably may have known first, I'm not yeah, sure. It, They've never been totally clear on it, but, like, she was just as close with Kento as Toma. Mm. And it's just, it's so... It's a shame, is what it is. And okay, for, for like, our last sort of thing in our bad stuff category, like, this isn't bad. It's just, it's weird, because I shouldn't be annoyed with how Logos gets got in 40. And I'm not, not really. But my problem is we see that they can write him as sort of falling apart because our heroes keep winning. And I wish the descent into that sort of, like, gibbering narcissistic madness was a little less precipitous and involved him throwing more tantrums throughout instead of just kind of pulling out these marginal wins in spite of the fact that he lost all the time like do not misunderstand me i'm glad we got to watch him just be kind of pathetic and horrible and and just ego driven when he gets got but i just i wish we he could have got beat a, i wish we could, would have got to see that beat a few more times so it could have breathed a little more we all could have been like Ah, okay, yeah, he's he's still dangerous, but he's desperate, and yeah, it's just it's a it's a minor thing. Yeah, I I agree that more logos tantrums would have been really fun, and it's just a shame we didn't get them, cause like this how he was in this in forty was really fun. Yeah, it really was. Like you dare speak such to your god? Like, all right, dude. On the one hand, calm it down. On the other, never calm it down. <laughs> Crank it up. Go for it. This is... Anyway, we'll, we'll, we're going to get there, because now we get to talk about the stuff we enjoyed in these episodes, because, yo, those are fun episodes. Uh, Sona, why don't you start us off? Okay, so, first of all, yo, Tassel's back and doing the cold opens, and Hell it's, it's yes. nice to see him. Because the, the cold open recap just wasn't quite the same without him weirdly explaining his opinions about what's going on. Because they part. never... Yeah, because they never really leaned all the way into having someone else doing it. And it just didn't have quite the same impact it does when it's Tassel. Yeah, it, it really doesn't. Because 
like, look, I get that for the middle part, they're trying to recap in a more quote end quote naturalistic way, but you know this this is a storybook story, and that makes Tassel's return so freaking welcome. And honestly, like the other thing, okay, they took Tassel out, but they never had someone else step in to take his place after he was taken out, and that to me is going to be one of the big missed opportunities in the show. I do realize and recognize that that's me and how much I love metafiction. And that's, you know, that's fair if you want to just roll your eyes at that. But I still think just bring in Toshiki Inoue or have Master Logos just do some more of that Toshiki Inoue energy and just bonlek shua minasama. Uresama wa Master Logos. And like just, you know, whole speech is about... And then they try, and then these fools pathetically tried to destroy me, and they failed again. Like I don't know, that would be great. It's, it's it's just a thing where like I think back to build when the cast was kind of narrating the cold opens and discussing them, and like you didn't, it didn't always have to be Sento, and that kind of worked really well. Yeah, just well, they missed an opportunity, but you know, we have Tassel back. And that rules, actually. Uh, Daishinji being so excited about the new sword that he tries to hurl himself at it and collapses because his legs are still kind of busted up was adorable and I think just really cements our theory last time that he would have done it mid-battle if he hadn't already been more busted up. Love him. Yeah, he's- 100%. Absolutely. He remains the best dude. I also really like the idea of Yuri overexerting himself and not being able to maintain a, like, physical dude form, or even really having the energy to move around as Psycho. Like, that's really neat, and I wish it had been more of a complication over the course of the show. I know we've talked over the course of several writers about how, you know, someone will get an upgrade and it will have this inbuilt threat that they kind of forget about after two or three episodes. And I feel like here, no one ever asked for him to have this threat. It was already kind of tragic that he had to, like, sell his humanity to become this sword in order to protect it. But now I'm like, well, now you've introduced the threat at the end of the show. And I want to see how it would have affected some things. Agreed. I mean, more than anything for me, It'd be a great way to explain why he doesn't do any of those cool shadow tricks anymore. Because, yo, you know, the comic book form is cool and all. Do not misunderstand me. It's fine. But those shadow tricks that he was doing were just so good to me. Yeah. But, you know, I... It would have been fun to see, like, well, why don't you do that anymore? Well, I only have enough power for one set of powers, thanks. So that's why I'm the comic book man. Although I still, I just want to throw out, I still think that having a rotate, you know, the victim of the week turn into the shadow person and just get to use the sword of light, that would have been amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, I should, you know, again, we have to discuss the show we have, not the show that we would want. Sorry. Um, I did out loud gasp when the pop-up book part of the opening changed to include every swordsman, yeah. even Reika and Ryoga, and that Ryoga actually is is very vibrant and animated in it, more so than some of our main writers. Like, there's just so much going on there that it's kind of wonderful to see. Yeah, it really is. And in a weird way, kind of heartwarming, just seeing him out there being, being just a goof. Like, it's, it's really cute. I Like, he feels like he's enough older than her that he was maybe like 10 when she was born that may i may be like kind of pushing it too far uh, there maybe he was know, like feels six or something but like kind of old enough to be like this is my sister i am like we are not really in touch with our parents because our parents are off being these swordsmen so i'm all she's got And that, you know, he's really kind of developed this protectiveness of her, and that's 
really what I get from him in that moment, that he's got this kind of relationship with her that he never really gets to express, because they've got these jobs that he takes really seriously. Yeah, it's just, it's nice. I, I like that he also, is a person. Yeah, it's it's nice. If he's gonna be here, he should have a personality. Yeah, and it's it's one that is even separate from Reka, even though I I maintain that there's nothing he does that Reka couldn't also do. I also really like the the added shot of all of the swordsmen up against Master Logos, and how that also includes Reka and Ryoga. Um, and then the shot of Cross Saber with, like, everyone else's sword fanning out behind him. It's just nice to kind of have those unifying moments. Yeah, it really is. Though it did make it feel very, very weird to me that the last shot, uh, before that one shot of just Saber up on the, the like, mountain, is still just Saber and Blades riding the motorcycles, and not now also everyone. Yeah, like, they, it's either you should extend the standing together shot, or just put everyone else on the trikes. Because, like, you don't need to animate them a whole bunch. They're they're just the suits yeah, no, on the bikes. And, and, like, that shot is entirely CG anyway. Yeah. So just, and not to mention, it'd be a lot of fun to just see the whole lot of them barreling down the road, so to speak. Because I think it's not really a road, it's more like a fee Anyway. But just this big, messy horde of common riders on their on their weird little bike trike things. Oh, but also they should swap out the trike for Rintro and just have him riding his his lion. Yeah, or just being the lion, because I do miss the couple of times he turned into the the big king lion. I yeah, like that is my one complaint with the the cool white ice suit is that he's not used that to turn into a big white lion. But, you know, I, I imagine that uh, the the Tezuka estate probably would have some things to say about that. I don't know, because, I mean, like... That's just... That was a really long way to go for that joke. <laughs> I, I imagine the Tezuka estate probably wouldn't actually care. No, I, I, I honestly don't think they do. I feel like so many things, like, reference Tezuka stuff anyway. Yeah, like, it's... It'd be like Disney throwing out a C and D for for someone mentioning Mickey Mouse on TV. Not even a picture, just like, yeah. haha, that's like Mickey Mouse. That's it. Um, so there's this really nice thematic circle close. Um, early on in the show, I actually I don't remember if it was Toma or Kento. Kind of like having just an introspective moment. I feel like it was Toma kind of trying to, to figure out this whole magic swords thing, and then the other one, like, if, if it was Toma, then it would have been Kento doing the, the Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn thing, and that the two of them kind of bonded again over that to, to cheer each other up, and now it kind of doesn't even matter because it always comes back to the fact that it's Kento and Toma, because now Toma is here leading Mei and Rintaro into doing the little Momotaro skit to reach out to Kento and welcome him home. And it's just kind of a nice reflection of that moment early on. It really is. And it does make me wish I knew more about the story of Momotaro, because I bet the choices for who each person was is actually a really, like, a funny joke on a cultural level. Because, like, okay, Mei being the monkey I get, because here's the thing about monkeys. Monkeys are awesome and energetic and, and they're very honest and wear their hearts on their sleeves. And that, you know, that's May. But I don't I don't know about the rest. Because... I mean, Rintaro basically is just a, a big puppy dog. Yeah. I just, I don't know what's up with the pheasant. But I'm sure Kento is an excellent choice for the pheasant. Because apparently the pheasant is kind of just stuck up. But in a, you know, a in a chill bit, way. A little bit sassy. Yeah. A little bit sassy. But, you know, like, we, um, I admire that in a common Rider. But I, I just love that, like, this is happening and Kento, he can't help but get into it because this is, this is so ingrained in who he is. And that he really, he has to go above and beyond, like, 
pretending that he's not into it and then spinning around and, and making a whole big thing and that he really does accept May and Rintero in this because he, he brings in the idea of eclairs, which is this thing that was very symbolic of May and of Rintero becoming his own person. And, like, they all just kind of... And then Toma pretending to get mad about Kento changing the story and then all of them laughing about it. Like, it was just such a sweet moment. Um, I also really loved seeing Kento back in his old coat, but with his new outfit's, like, white turtleneck yes. under it. Because that was such a nice visual combination to show how much he has grown, that he's still wearing part of this new costume, but he is returned to his old coat because he's come home. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know why the white undershirt sings so well on that front, but it really does. And it just... Yeah, it just, it works so well. Yeah, and it it's also just a quick and easy visual signifier so that you do not forget, oh yeah, this kid has grown up a lot, actually. And I, I yeah. don't know why that works. It honestly shouldn't, because I'm just saying it like, yeah, he's wearing the white turtleneck. That's a symbol of his growth, but in this case, yeah, it is. I also really found it sweet that he made his first order of business as coming back to this family to go take care of the kid he feels responsible for. Because he knows that he did a lot to hurt Ren when he sealed his sword. He knows firsthand how much it hurts to be betrayed by someone you love and admire. And he knows he can't let that sit or Ren will end up like he did. Yeah, and I don't know. I just, I like seeing that the 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 echoes like kento got all messed up by a lack of understanding for his father but you know because he didn't have all the context and since he's kind of a father figure to ren or you know at least a big brother him stepping in to make sure the kid gets his head right it just it owns it's i love when we see things that could very much lend themselves to cycles of trauma and just someone coming in and saying, like, no, we are not going to do this. And just, that's just great. It's it's so good to see Kento get out of his broody phase and just step up. Um, I also just adore Daishinji being like, yes, I will take care of Yuri because I am the swordsmith. <laughs> this is definitely not a chance to do a lot of examination of the first sacred sword while he doesn't have legs to run away from me. <laughs> and just, like, being absolutely manic about it. Yeah, it's... Daishinji's so good. He really is. It's it's so funny. But also, like, woof, real sorry, Yuri. <laughs> that's... You're gonna wake up in three pieces. Sorry, that's just how this goes. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Although I do hope it, it pays off in some way as, as some sort of upgrades for the rest of the crew. Because, look, I understand why they, they might not bring them into the show, even if there are some in the toys, but just I don't know, I'd like to see something for the rest of the crew. I Also, I really want to see uh, Daishinji getting, finally getting to examine the first Holy Blade, and that leads to something. I don't even care what, I just I want it to be paid off somehow. Yeah. He's wanted um, to do it for also, so long. <laughs> I also really like Reika and Ryoga putting their lives on the line to get everyone's books. And and an active book gate. Um, like, yeah. Ryoga takes a sword to the gut in order to be a distraction so that everyone else gets to fight at full strength again. And, like, that's that's really nice for him um and having him act all tough and then just absolutely collapse unconscious on the floor of the bookstore like there's not a lot of ways to get me to care about ryoga but they sure managed to find one yeah nothing like a nothing quite like a toolbox like him having something like a face turn based on duty and whatnot because you know he's He's not a horrible person. He's just, you know, 
a bad one. <laughs> He's a bad man. I don't even know if I'd call him a, a bad person. I'd just call him kind of a bad character. Okay, yeah. I think that's probably a little more fair. I just, I'm still just like so... I, they're doing a good job bringing me around on him, but... <laughs> like, I, I, I agree that he's not entirely necessary, but at least they're having him do some relevant things because I would much rather see him stabbed than Reka. Point. Point. Like, I'm, I'm pretty here for him being a meat shield for his sister. I, I will give you that. I do really love Disaster just kind of vibing when Kento shows up to talk to Ren. Like, he doesn't try to act like he's there, like he's actually there fighting, or even, like, try and hide the way that he sometimes does. He just keeps sitting there. Like, he doesn't say anything, but it's very much this energy of, no, the, this kid is mine, and we're just hanging out having lunch, so if you want to talk to him, you gotta deal with me being here. Yep. Look, we all know you should be killing me, but we are, at present, the representation of the kids' life paths, you know, diverging in a pretty intense way, so we can't actually fight until the kids' mate is called. You know that. And, you know, yeah. I appreciate the Kento, even though he does not have Sora's understanding of shonen, you know, the, the rules of shonen stories, he still understands them. Yeah. He obeys them. I mean, he's he's definitely read enough of them. Yeah. Um, and I also love that Ren is kind of committed to the way he's going right now, because even Disaster comments that after talking to Kento, it's very clear that Ren does want to follow him, but Ren knows he can't if he's gonna grow past where he is right now. If he goes right now with Kento, he's just going to be following Kento's footsteps for the rest of his life. He's grown at least a little in that way, so he's not just blindly doing what his idol says anymore. And he's thinking for himself, even if it might be a mistake that he's making. If it's a mistake, it's one he's making for himself, and I can respect that. Oh yeah, big same. Because, like, look, his calls are stupid, but they are his calls. Like, underline the his there. And they make sense for where he's at in his life, and... And while I very much would like to see the kid grow out of this stuff before the end of the show, it feels right to me that he doesn't immediately do a 180 on everything he's been doing up till now. Because he's been, you know, he's been he's been making a lot of life choices. He's been growing. He's been trying to change, trying to figure out the person he wants to be. And that's that's important. Though, again, it, it does make one wonder, yo, what just what is Disaster's endgame here? <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I do not know. Yeah, I. Um, I love not knowing. It's just like, wow, what's your deal, buddy? But it it was really sweet that Ren could at least tell Kento that he was glad Kento made it through all of that. Okay. Yeah. Cause like, look, he he might not idolize the guy anymore, but Kento still cares, and that's just such a lovely touch. And it also shows that no matter what Ren may think of himself. He has never entirely bought into the toxic masculinity mess. And that's also nice to yeah. see, because, like, look, when you're a teenager, you uh, you think you're all about some things, and then you don't act that way. <laughs> and, you know, that's usually for the good, it's usually for the best. Uh, your boy used to like a lot of Ayn Rand is the thing, and it's just, I'm glad. I'm glad that, I'm glad I never really bought into it as much as I thought I did, you know? I also, I really adore Logos pulling a fast one and, like, for a second busting out this sob story of, like, I lost someone I loved and now I'm, like, evil as a traumatic coping mechanism. No, psych, this is actually just fun for me. <laughs> I'm just having a good time. Like, oh. heck yeah, let this guy be a total jerk. Let him suck. No, sympathet no sympathetic villains in the Saber House. Yeah, agreed. It's so good. Particularly after the rug pull with Garza during Kira Major, because, like, when they make those pulls, and then then they don't. I don't know. It's just, it's nice when they they can play with your expectation. But also, like, yeah. while he was saying it, I you know, props to the guy playing uh, uh, 
logos because I very much got the impression that he was going to just like psych because he, he oh just, yeah he was just playing it so perfectly just right on that edge of oh yes this is my tragic past and guys I'm messing with you it's just it's really good just while he was saying it I was so sure he was going to do a gotcha but also I wasn't absolutely sure which that's a nice again it's it's that thing where even when you know what's going to happen you still think on some level yeah but it might not and i i love that i just and it's just that for me he's so much more fun as this weird jerk with too much power and too little perspective yeah and like y'all know we love a good sympathetic villain oh yeah but sometimes you're just you're just tired of being nice and you want to go feral. And that suits Logos and Storius both so well. And I love that as Logos is going on this rant, Rintero, the goodest of all boys, is just like, I literally cannot comprehend the words coming out of this man's mouth. Toma, are we sure I can't just go over there and punch him? Like, how? why would someone not be cool if they could be cool? Being manipulated, I get that. I get that real good. But just just straight up sucking? How? Why? Who's got the time? <laughs> like, Rintero is, like, just his face journey during that whole thing. It, it just, it's speaking to all of us. And I, I also find Logos's... I don't know if it's a lore drop, because I don't think any of it is stuff we didn't already technically know. But it was a it was a cool beat for him because again I'm not really interested in Saber as a chosen one narrative, mm. but on the level of well Toma you would have disappeared when you were nine if Kento's dad hadn't caused a ruckus which I caused him to do so you kind of owe me the past like fifteen ish years of your life and like I guess wanting Toma to to like serve him i guess in return for that yeah i don't know it was just kind of a really interesting moment it was and i mean even if it turns out to be a lie which you know 50 50 it ever gets brought back but it's still a great move for logos and a yeah, well I, it's not technically a lie because i mean it is what it is mm. like luna luna chose him when they were like nine but and probably would have I guess brought him to Wonderworld, mm. but then all the stuff happened. It's just him kind of playing with the meaning of events that have happened. Yeah, I, yeah. Either way, I just, I hope it's true, because, I don't know, layering something sinister onto Luna, or at least onto the the rules by which, which define Luna's existence, I don't know, that adds something to me. Of course, you have to be careful with it, because if you go far enough, that's how you get a Madoka. And, like, I'm not even saying anything bad about Madoka. It's just, like, a lot of people confuse Madoka for Magical Girl. Just like a lot of people confuse Watchmen for superheroes. When it's like, no, these are these are commentary and deconstruction and not the thing itself. There's, there's this great quote that I always like to go back to. Not always. I, I recently heard it, but I go back to it a lot. It's... Alan Moore just saying, like, look, superheroes are like clowns. They're silly. But there's dignity in being a clown. In trying to be a very good clown. That's that's dignified. But when you try to be something else, when you're a clown pretending you're not a clown, the dignity goes away. And that's... Anyway, I just, I think it's... Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to give Genorobuchi that much credit. <laughs> that's fair. To call Madoka, a, like, a deconstruction and commentary the way that Watchmen is. And, like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't even like Watchmen. Um, but I understand what Watchmen is, and I don't know if I want to call Madoka that. <laughs> I feel like Gen Urobuchi is just a deeply cynical man who was like, what if I take this genre and impose my cynicism upon it? That does seem to be a thing he's very good at. Like, say one thing for Gaim. Gaim was just, I would like to do my cynicism onto Kamen Rider. And also, hey, I really like Ryuki. <laughs> I mean that's also that's also Madoka. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's move on because. Um, but but I I'm actually I'm not gonna totally move on because I this is skipping ahead a little bit into forty, um, but the way that Tassel explains to Luna what she is, 
brought me immediately back to Magic Knight Ray Earth and okay. the end of that show. Um, which I'd feel bad about spoiling, but it came out in 1994, so you gotta deal with it. Also, um, hey, isn't there gonna be a revival soon? I don't know. Okay. I'm I'm just very hopeful, because they've been releasing a lot of merch recently. Gotcha. Okay. Go on, I'm sorry. But Luna has a lot of notes of this character, Emerald, who is essentially the physical manifestation of the fantasy world that the girls are isekai'd into. And the entire time that they're doing this, that they're trying to get to her, they're like, okay, she has been kidnapped by this dude, we have to save her, and they they get, they beat him, and they get to her, and she's like, no, that dude was my boyfriend, but I'm not allowed to have a boyfriend or the world ends, so I brought you here to kill me. <laughs> And I think that's really the way to do that. And then they yeah. have to fight her. That's... Because she kind of goes crazy because they killed her boyfriend. Mm. Rare Earth is great. Rare Earth is amazing. The anime is dated, but still good. But the manga really holds up. It's only... To get to that ending, it's only three volumes. And then there's a second half that covers kind of the fallout of the fact that they killed this lady that is... The physically holding the world together um, and does some really interesting stuff that I really hope that Saber will also do with Luna in a way that doesn't involve killing her, obviously. Yeah, that'd be nice. We, like, we're, like, I'm still every now and again thinking, wow, the the little kid in Q-Ranger definitely died. I'm very happy they did not show us his corpse. Yeah, because um, the, the thing about Emerald is most of the time you see her, she does appear very, very young up until the point that they're fighting her. And it is kind of implied that maybe she there were points at which she didn't look so young and it was just a, a, an effect of the, the way the magic was doing things. But when they fight her, she's like a, a grown lady who is clearly wanted to have this life with this dude that she loved and it didn't work out that way because she didn't make a choice that I'm really hoping Luna will make. Yeah. Um, but I just, I think there is something really interesting in that, and I would love to see someone kind of play with that idea again. Yeah. And I think Saber might be going for it. Man, I hope so, because I definitely want to see, I want to see them go really wild with Luna. I don't know what it would look um, like, but I want them to do it. But to, to kind of come back to Logos, it was just a very interesting beat for him to bring up like, oh, well, you would have disappeared when you were nine. I saved you. Because he still, it, it makes it clear that he still sees everything he's doing as some kind of twisted benevolence, which is like super messed up when the dude a couple episodes ago was like, fight to the death and whoever wins gets to live in the new world like this guy is buck wild yeah and it's kind of great yeah it really is because every time he, he tries to he, he circles back around from you know cackling super villain to to this sort of like i'm i'm an insane noble thing like i don't know it's it's just a lot of fun because he's not sympathetic but they're still giving him all of these layers. And that's a fun thing to work with, you know? Yeah. He's he's just, how does he see himself? Well, it varies from moment to moment, but mostly he just thinks he's right. And that's great. And I love that, you know, after all of this, Toma turns that back around on him. And, like, Logos is like, oh, you've, you've proven yourself worthy to live in my new world. Come, come serve me. And Toma's just like, Hey, one, we just beat you up, so sorry about that, but you can come with us. You can start over. You can live in the world that currently exists. Like, Logos is, you're still a human man who is worthy of love, and if you can let go of that twisted worldview, humanity will take you back. And I adore that Storius recognizes that Toma is a shonen protagonist. <laughs> yep. 
and that if he doesn't get Logos out of here immediately, it is very possible that Toma won't shut up until Logos is on his side. He needs Logos to seethe in the hate of that loss. He cannot let Toma's hope leak in, or his entire plan is gone. Yeah, it is annihilated. Because, look, if Logos got any sense and stopped living for his facts and logic, he might not go so hard. And it's clear that Storius needs this dude to go as hard as possible, as often as possible. Or like you said, that 7D chess mastering of the 5D chess master, it just, it goes out the window. Because once, if Logos ever thinks, even for a second, that it might be cool, actually, to have a friend, it's over. Because no evil plan can survive being friends with a shonen protagonist. It's impossible. It cannot happen. Especially not a shonen protagonist powered by the most powerful force in the universe, which, as per Common Rider Forza, is friendship. And y'all saw Common Rider Forza. You know what I'm talking about is 100% true, because in that show, the main baddie thought for a second, a freaking second, about how good and pure friendship from Gentro and the rest of the Common Rider Club would be, and boom, no more evil for that man. Straight up evaporated instead of doing an evil plotting. And hey, if you haven't seen Kamen Rider Forza, I'm sorry for spoiling the ending. You still need to see Kamen Rider Forza. Yeah, it was ten years ago, so... Yeah, I feel like know, the... Statute of Limitations is kind of up on that one. Yeah. You know, we've, we've talked about it a lot. It's got its problems, but also uh, the core of that show is so... Yeah. Also, the music game? Next level. Yeah. Anyway, let's um... let's keep, keep going or else I'm just going to start talking about how much I love Forza. Uh, so rolling into 40, the second that Logos says to Storius, did your god give you permission to speak? I knew that man was done for. Oh. He raised his own death flag by sassing a villain who's been around longer than he has. I mean, again, I, I would have loved a few more episodes of Logos being that level. But even with that caveat, yeah. him talking about being a god and getting in the face of a dude with vague story powers, like, that's so good. You have, like, I'm glad that in his last appearance, he got to have fun being a naughty vampire god. Like, he was enjoying it as long as it lasted, and it made me very happy. Yeah, I mean, I really didn't think it was gonna be the same episode. Yeah. I thought maybe we'd have one or two more before he actually bit it, but I'm like, oh, you're, okay, we're done with you. Yeah, yeah. You you have ended. Yeah, you, you talked like that to the other main villain. Nice knowing you, son. <laughs> uh, the body puppeting was unexpected, though. Right? Um, and I honestly felt really bad for Ryoga. Yeah, that's that's pretty understandable. Like, I just Ryoga has pretty much spent his whole life being puppeted around by Logos already, and now that he's finally starting to think and feel for himself, he's the one that the guy takes over by force. Yeah, though I do have to say, it feels like Storius must already be in some kind of control, because that's just such a perfect thing to have happen to Ryoga, right? Like, that's such a poetic, writerly thing. Because, yeah, Ryoga has been manipulated by Logos his entire life, and now Logos is continuing to manipulate him. Your life has not changed, Ryoga. I don't know, it's just... If I was gonna be a would-be evil author supervillain, that's the sort of thing I'd do, because frankly, Logos don't got the poetry for that. <laughs> he's it's in the name. He's facts and logic. He doesn't he doesn't have he doesn't have pathos or ethos. He's just facts. Bleh. Um I, I really adore Toma and Kento like busting into Southern Base, like, oh my god, you found Luna <laughs> and like jumping and hanging off each other like excited little kids and everyone just kinda happily watching them rejoice in maybe getting to see their friend again. Yeah, it and it really is just so sweet. I, I know we're going to have a lot of words about when the show does and doesn't work, but moments like this, they work, and they work so well. And I, I love seeing Toma and everyone just wearing their hearts on their sleeves like that, being happy that, hey, we got a win. We, we're in a solid W category, y'all. And, I don't know, it's, it's nice. And honestly, there was something really powerful in Kento handing Kuriyami off to Yuri because it means the same thing to both of them. 
The sword is a memento not just of Kento's beloved father, but of Yuri's beloved friend, both of whom wielded that sword in a way that the two of them still don't fully understand and have spent their entire lives trying and failing to properly grieve. So the way that, you know, Kento holds it out and Yuri grasps it while Kento is still holding it is just this really visceral visual moment of these two having a bond that no one around them can really understand. And I wish it was something we had more time to explore, because I'd love to see the two of them just sit down and talk about how much it hurt them to lose these two dudes, and how much they really haven't understanded the circumstances of it. Yeah, because, like, this this thing has been at the heart of both of their traumas for so long, and even though they could give the sword to Mei, but they don't, because they're cowards... It's, it's also good to see the sword becoming representative of a new beginning for the pair of them. Yuri having somewhat come to terms with the past, Kento coming to terms with the future. It's, it's lovely stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, it's really wonderful. Less wonderful and more goofy is Logos ripping open a hole between worlds to menacingly swing his giant hand around to try and grab this little girl. Because that was both horrifying, but also absolutely hilarious. Because, like, seeing him smack Tassel out of the sky and flail around trying to grab Luna, it made me very scared for the two of them, but also, like, it is a giant disembodied arm flailing around from the sky, and that is inherently very funny. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, like you were saying, it's it's the kind of funny that only works when you're not in the mindset of the story, which is a very fairy tale monster sort of thing. Like, oh, hey, some some weird helpful little man who who will help you out, but he wants your baby. I mean, that doesn't sound really scary until you have a baby and and the little man pops up and says, "Hey, what's up? I'm from hell. And I'm gonna take that baby down to hell with me. All right, all right." Like, a weird lady in a candy house? Eh, whatever. Okay. Hi, lady, what's up? That's Why are you scary? It's not scary. Until she shoves your brother full of chocolate and preps to eat him in front of you. And I just think Logos' big, weird, flailing arm hanging out of the sky, like, yeah, it is really silly. Until it gets hold of you and tries to pop you like a grape so you turn into ink for his magic book. Like... Yeah. I love that that play between, like you were saying, like the silly and the horrible. It's I I, I love it. The when this show is on, it's on. Yeah, and it's it's a really cool balance to strike because Luna's around the age of the target demographic, and if it, if the moment were just scary, it might really upset some kids. Mm. But the fact that it's also kind of hilarious, like it takes the edge off for the kids. Yeah, which, very important to do. I mean, I will say, like, I think that's one of the things that that is very well served by having a veteran tokusatsu director in there. Not that Shibasaki Takeyuki isn't a veteran, but Ishida Hidenori has been at this for a minute. He knows, he knows how to balance these things. He's very good at it. I really like Reika using the fog dissipation to send, like, half of herself to Northern Base to call for help. That was really cool. It really was. And it, it makes me wish they spent more time showing off how her powers are basically smoke and mirrors. Because that's also her non-writer powers, right? Because she's all about manipulation and misdirection. It's It's a really smart thing on a lot of levels, and it just... One of those things yeah, it's, it, where I... Oh, go on. No, it just... It makes me wish that she had gotten her face turned sooner. Yes. So that we could have seen more of her getting to use it in cool, non-threatening ways. Because she, when she's a villain, she's not allowed to use it in a way that isn't beating up the heroes. Mm. But ways like this, you get with a face turn, and I think there's a lot of room for her to do some cool stuff. Yeah. Um, I also really liked how much Ryoga was struggling against the body puppeting and how much emotion he put into begging Reika to kill him so that he didn't end up killing her. Um, one, because it's very rarely that you see a dude in that position. Yeah, that's true. That's usually a lady role, so it was it was cool to see 
Ryoga getting to take that. Um, but it also really feeds into the signs of how much Ryoga cares for Reika, having been very subtle but present up until now. And they've built to it in a way that I really like for the character that Ryoga is. Because um, even if they'd... Like, if they'd had him be weird toward Reika in the same way that Reika is weird towards him, that would have set off so many alarm bells oh, yeah. that I think my brain would have refused to acknowledge them as characters in this show, and we would just not talk about them. Yeah. Um, but instead of that, he's just very protective of her. Um, I kind of mentioned it, but he lets Reika fight. Reika can act on her own. She doesn't need to act directly in his shadow. Because he knows that she is strong as Sabella and she can stand on her own. But he also, you know, he knows his sister. She's a little overzealous and sometimes she'll charge in without thinking things through totally. Which again, not always a trait that girls get, which is kind of cool. That's true, yeah. Um, and he just kind of does his, ba his best to hold her back from getting in over her head. Or he will take the more physically dangerous part of a task, like getting stabbed so she can turn into fog and go get the books um and it's culminated in this moment of this situation really seeming like only one of them is gonna walk out alive and he's trying his hardest to ensure that it's reika he is willing to die so that she can get out of this alive and that when it comes to it when there's no one to get in the way of his sword the one who can, the one who's able to block him is himself. Yeah, and it... And I, I really loved that moment. Yeah, it really was. It was such a, a good one, and lets him be a person, lets her be a person. Everyone, I, yeah, everyone gets to have something they're about and something noble. And it also really highlights the limits of Logos's manipulation, both physically and psychologically, because given what he can do... Rather, in this case, uh, given what Ryoga can do, because he, he is a very difficult thing, because there's a lot of dudes there. Um, but given Ryoga's thing, you know, he messes with time in this very limited way, but it's still pretty destructive. But he can't, you know, he never uses it. Because if he had, Reiko honestly would have been in much worse shape, because that's a devastating power. So that means that Logos can puppet people on a cer certain level, but not beyond, which is the same failing he's had in his understanding of these two uh, in relation to their books. Which, again, like, it's a very writerly bit. It's it's just it's, it's just literalizing the thing that their characters are about, but I, I can't hate it. I really, I really love a clever bit of literalization. Yeah. Um, I also really dig on the fact that when it is someone stepping in to save Reika, it's Ogami? Like, this lady threatened physical harm upon his son, yeah. and as far as we know, has not yet apologized for it, or anything else she's done. And the dude, you know, still stepped up to the plate for her. Like, congrats, Reika, Ogami is your dad now. You too, Ryoga. He's definitely gonna do a better job than whoever your dad was before this, because I don't believe that their parents did any work in raising them. Hey it seems clear that that is not the case, yeah. <laughs> not to mention, like like you said, he's going to do a lot better because he's not going to inculcate uh, lawful frustrating in the pair of them. He's just, he's way too chill. And also their new little brother would just hang out with them and tell them when they're being stupid. And that would make them shape up real quick because nothing wrecks your ego quite like a ten-year-old calling you out. Oh god, Sora would rip, whip Ryoga into shape instantly. Like, Ryoga would pull one of his don't-make-me-angries, and Sora would just be like, what are you gonna do about it? And Ryoga would absolutely crumble. Oh yeah, like a house of cards in a wind tunnel. Just destroyed. Um, the, the bit of Tassel and Luna was very, very sweet, and is honestly more character than Luna's gotten over the course of the whole show, and possibly more than canon ever got in Ghost. Uh, uh there's no possibly. <laughs> um, and just... Just good on Tassel for reaching out to Luna and making sure that she understands what's going on for once. Yeah, like, look, it is really late for her to be given agency. 
but I am glad it happened. Because <laughs> I, was, I was sort of thinking that she might not even, you know, like, by the end of the show, get to make a choice. I'm, I'm glad to see she has. And, like, I can't expect Toma or Kento to have done it because... They clearly have no idea what's going on. They don't understand it any more than she does. And I'm not really sure who else could have caught her up. I'm just glad that someone finally is. Agreed. But I I love that Luna's response to, you get to be here with Toma forever. And her response to that is, but that means that he won't get to hang out with Kento. And that would make both of them sad. And she just wants no part of that. Like, Tassel says it's an inevitability because she chose him, and but then you there's this long shot of her just staring into the middle distance, and you can see the wheels turning in her head being like, that's dumb, though. Like, if Luna is this whole world, she can definitely change the rules of how the world works. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The old world put us in the place we're at now, and included with that is a bunch of stupid, awful decisions by stupid, awful people. This girl, if she decides to change herself, changes the world. And also, if she decides that the way she wants to change herself is to grow up and be a cool lady common Rider, uh, maybe with a metal sword, then she can be common Rider Luna Metal. And then they can give her the ability to clone herself, and she could be Luna Metal Double. <laughs> which is just... A long walk for a short drink of water, I know, but you're just... That was my one double joke. Um, that triple rider kick... Yeah! ...kind of rocked. Like, absolutely just rocked. It was great, I loved it, and I love that, you know, it happens, and Logos turns around and tries to puppet Toma, and it doesn't work, and he's like, Well, didn't expect that to work. But I can do it to your friends and laugh while you have to kill them. That's a nice consolation prize. Yeah, it, that's just so good. Well, I am a petty jerkwad god, so... Like, that's that's just so much fun. I swear, my favorite bad guys are just the truly, awfully, violently petty ones. Yeah. And to, to get to his pettiness, I... Ad- his reaction to Kento telling him that he's not worth his time and Rintaro telling him like you threw away being a god our entire organization worshipped you now you just now everyone just thinks you suck and they're right (laughs) like that dude took like 500 points of psychic damage from these two kids calling him a punk and it's like my favorite thing I've ever seen yeah I mean look there's a reason that Vicious Mockery is largely class-restricted. Also, like, I appreciate that to further the, the D&D analogy, that dude definitely had disadvantage on his next attack. <laughs> I think he may actually have a mechanical vulnerability to psychic damage, though finding out that he can't make a wisdom save to save his life, literally, is... that's very appropriate. <laughs> it is. Um, I think my favorite thing, though thematically is the contrast between logos puppeting kentaro not what kento and rintaro and yuri to hurt toma and toma uses all three of the main books finally um for himself and rintaro and kento in cross saber and they can attack through him yeah like it's so good. These it it's also so incredibly cosmic states. Oh, a thousand percent. But just these are three dudes who have nothing but trust and love for one another that they can just function as a whole unit. It's Kento can swing his sword, and Toma will allow that to swing his own sword so that. The, the genie on the carpet can come out and run Logos over. It's so good. Yeah, it is. And I, I really love that you, you get to see the other two just out on the sides, doing the moves, and, and then Toma mimics them. It's just, I don't know, it's such a snazzy thing, and it's... Okay, remember in uh, Q-Ranger, right? We talk about mm-hmm. how there's, there's like, ah, the all-galaxy attack, and I'm like, yeah, it's really nice that that everyone 
in the universe gets to help him do his final attack. And you point out, yeah, it's, you know, but they're not there, are they? And it's like, in this one, they are. They're right there. They yeah. are getting to help. Like, that's so good. Um, I also love that the belt calls him using those three books a collaborative publication. Uh, no lie, over here we just, we lost it at that. That was one of those pause to cheer moments. It's just, it's so good. It was really good. Um, and just, it's all three of their powers, all three of their main books, and Rintaro and Kento aren't just standing aside to let Toma do the work. Like, that's really what it is. They're still there. They're still active. It's all three of them standing up for what's right in the form of this one dude. And look, galactic friendship kick being that form's rider kick is straight out of Forza. And I know you love to see it as much as I oh, do. Yeah, 100%. Because look, they got a Forza rider. In, in for this episode and gave the dude space powers. Yeah, of course they're going to do a Forza callback. Why even pretend? And I adore that the, the end of the fight is the boys all going in to put their swords together and then May runs in with a stick like, I am part of this promise too, do not forget me. And no one denies her that. It's just, it's so sweet and cute and she really is their son. She really is, and I I was so happy to see it. Though, I okay, I'm not trying to to take love out of the moment, but I just still wish she could have like had that big old stick and just bonked Logos in the head as he was trying to dip out. Because, I mean, look, I know she doesn't need to do a violence to be awesome, because you know she just is awesome. But it's an action show, and I wouldn't mind her getting that moment just as a final. Yeah, we are all standing together against you. Because, I mean, like, they were gonna use the stick later, just let her hit a dude. I yeah, I I think it might just be that the stick is a little too imitatable. Oh, right, yeah, standards and proud, yeah. Mm. Good, I think, good I really think that's the thing, is if she were to actually hit someone with that stick, it might come a little too close to, uh, kids can hit each other with sticks and it will hurt. Yeah, no, that's like, true. It'll hurt if they hit each other with the plastic swords, but not quite that bad. It's, yeah. And I think they'll have had the talks, like, we, we, you can hit the swords against each other, but you can't hit each other with the swords. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. Excellent point, excellent point. But again, what really, to circle back to that death flag from the beginning... Storius just walking in and removing Logos from existence, taking his book, and then coming out of that fog in a sick new outfit with the echoey demon voice? Oh, excuse me, sir. <laughs> like, that boy is about to cause some problems on purpose, and I am very excited to see what those problems are. Oh, yeah. Big same. Big same. Honestly, I just, I just love the whole thing of, yeah, hey... Thanks for putting the book back together, now that I know how to do that. So, um, die. And only after you're dead will I do my glow-up, because you are not worthy of my glow-up. It's just, it's so good. I go on and on about how my favorite, about different kinds of favorite villain moments. And I have to say, like, one of them is when a villain just looks at a plan that failed, a weapon that broke, or an ally who didn't come through, and he just shrugs and just throws it away. And that's just what he did. Like, oh, well, I'm done with you. <laughs> but I was a god. No, you weren't. <laughs> and and also, okay, this is a bit of a stretch. But I just, I like that he's talking about the ending of the story. Because that gave me big Dr. Maki from O's vibes. Which is only helped by the fact that the the main gimmick in this show is you have three little multicolored things you slot into the belt and that gives different power combinations and the most powerful combination is when it's all the same color i don't know i think that's fun it is neat i didn't i didn't drop back to o's uh just because so much of maki and o's uh registers as a very specific kind of nihilism that i don't quite get from storius oh yeah yeah definitely not <laughs> but still i just i like i like that sort of feeling yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's about it for these episodes. There's some fun stuff, and now we're heading into that end game. And 
Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, uh, we're not doing new suit roundup on the, the two suits from these episodes because they're nothing new. It's, they took the parts of the suits that already existed. And just and recolored them. Spray painted them with the galaxy colors. Yeah, I mean, looks nice, but, uh, yeah, you've seen it's, it. I mean, like, the, 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 like, three-volume red suit with just painted in the galaxy colors, my opinion, is exactly the same as the base flame dragon suit spray-painted in the galaxy colors. Yeah. It looks better. <laughs> there yeah, you go. Much that's better. it. They both look better. But yeah, no, that's that's really it. So yeah, we'll be we'll be back next time with another couple episodes. But until then, from the uncommon R, uh, from the crew of the Uncommon Cast RX, the rest of the Toll Network. I'm Aleph. and I'm Sun. And don't get kicked by a horse.